Thank you, everyone. I appreciated the song service this morning. I thought it did a good job. I appreciated Brother Dwayne's very sincere prayer. And again, I stand in need of your prayers if I, as I come up here to speak to you. Hopefully, that what I have on my mind, hopefully the Lord has put it there and that he will then bless you as he sees fit uh, and use me however he needs to achieve that goal. And he certainly is the one that should deserve all the glory. Uh, I've been, uh, I've got a, after church today, I've got to leave and go back to Fort Smith, Arkansas and, and uh, work with my sister, Mary Beth, there. She's having some physical difficulties and other issues to work out with her about her staying in a assisted living facility there. And so uh, I've, I've committed to go back up there and try to help out with that. So I'll be leaving shortly after lunch. I want to visit with you today, though, on uh, pretty basic subjects. Subjects of life and death. Now, we understand those. Those are really pretty simple subjects. We, we, we know what die, uh, life is. We know what death is. It's amazing, though, how much confusion there is over those. And even when you read it in the Bible, sometimes we're confused about what it's talking about because even as the Lord told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know, if you ate of a certain tree, the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil, that the, the day you eat thereof, the day you shall surely die. And of course, as Satan told them, he used some of this confusion. He started this confusion when he says, well, now, if you eat, thou shalt not surely die. And of course, when they ate, he showed it to them. They, they continued to live physically. And so that's part of the confusion that started since then. <clears throat> With both life and death, there's three lives and there's three deaths. You have a natural life, and we know what that is. That's what we live every day. You have a spiritual life. That's your relationship with God. And then we hope we all have eternal life. And that's beyond this lifestyle where we live on forever. Same way with death. We have a natural death. We have a, a, a death that we all, I mean, that when we all know that we're all going to die naturally one of these days. And we're all a little bit hesitant about that. We're afraid about that. We all want to live longer. There's always a natural fear in us of death. And if we read the word of the Lord, we know to get rid of that fear. And we know it's actually better after we do die. But we have a natural death. You have a spiritual death. Adam and Eve suffered a spiritual death in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and we know over in Ephesians, uh, Apostle Paul is talking to us. And he says, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. So you're dead spiritually until he quickens you and from your, your life of trespasses and sins. And then you have a, a uh, eternal death. Uh, one thing, though, let's start. I want to let's, let's make sure we have one fundamental principle established. All forms of life come from God. Natural life, spiritual life, and eternal life. All of those are gifts of God. You don't earn them. You don't get them. There's nothing you can do to obtain them. <clears throat> Those are all gifts of God. Natural life, we know that as he did to Adam, he, he comes down and puts a spirit and a soul in you. He breathed into your, Adam's nostrils and made him a living soul. Breathed the breath of life and made him a living soul. When we're born, that's, our, that's when we get life. When we're born, that's a gift of God. You know, because... You think, well, no, it's my mother and dad did that. Well, God created this system. God created this man to work like this. He created it so that we could, he, he gave us permission, uh, directed us, made us so that we could create physical life. But it came from God. And at some point in time, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't understand how it works at all. How, you know, the, the product of man and a, the egg of a woman can get together and produce a seed and a heartbeat develops out of that. That doesn't make any sense to me, and it doesn't make any common sense at all, but it works, and because that's a gift of God. God gives us that gift of life uh, <clears throat> uh, as of natural life. We know that God gives us spiritual life. You go read John chapter 3, you know, where it talks about being born again. That's when you get spiritual life, when you're born again, called, regenerated, uh, when he quickens you. Uh, those are, uh, you go read chapter 3, and you'll hear the world talk about, well, you know, if you want to have eternal life, you better get yourself born again. Uh, you don't get yourself born again. And if people would actually go read 
John chapter 3, the first seven or eight verses. That's where born again is talked about. And when they ask you, you know, are you, are you born again? You get asked that question. Are you a born again Christian? You know, and, and my answer for a long time was, well, I hope I am. And, and people don't understand that at all. It's like you hope you are. If you don't know, I thought, well, how does anybody know who's, in the, who's actually born again and a child of God unless you're able to look in the Lamb's book of life? You've got to be. But, and, and that's what he tells us in John 3, that uh, interchange with Nicodemus. And it's there, though, that, that Jesus makes the comparison and ties together natural life and spiritual life. They happen the same way. They are both gifts of God. <clears throat> you don't go out and get it on your own as you read. If you actually read that and it goes on and compares it like the wind, you can't see the Spirit coming. You can't see where it goes. You can see when it has an effect on someone, but that's the Spirit is. It's like the wind. You can't see it coming. You can't see it going. You can see the effect because it changes people's lives and how they behave and how they act. And it says, so is everyone that's born of the Spirit. We're all born the same way, born of the Spirit, and that's by the hand of God. And it tells us to marvel not at that. Don't be surprised and marvel not at that. That's how you're born again. Of course, the whole world marvels at that. They tell you, you know, make a big deal out of it. You better go get yourself born again. Marvel not means don't make a big deal out of it, but you need to understand how it works. It's the gift of God. All life is the gift of God. And, of course, God is the author of eternal life. Uh, we each of us hope our names, and we have the assurance. I don't think you'd be here this morning if we didn't each have some assurance that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, written in there before the world began. Your name is there. God gave it to you there. He wrote your name in there. And everybody that's in that book will go to heaven. You'll have eternal life. And that's what we ought to be striving for. We get hung up on our current natural life because we understand it. We kind of make a big deal out of spiritual life. And, and the churches do. And they don't understand it. Or if they'd go read John chapter 3 and actually read what it says. And you'd see you can't get yourself born again. You can't get yourself called. You can't get quicker. God does that. That's in the hands of God. So all the life that we get, our natural life, the way we're born, God set up this system of man and woman being able to produce a seed and, and it actually develop a heartbeat. That doesn't make any sense to me scientific-wise or whatever, but it's because it's a blessing of God, and we know children are a blessing of God when we have them. And so we have these three different types of life, and we have then the three different types of death, the uh, natural death, and we have spiritual death, as Adam and Eve uh, saw. And, of course, because we're descendants of, a of Adam and Eve, we are born spiritually dead. We're born sinners, and it's only because of the grace of God that we're saved. And then you have uh, eternal death, and all three deaths. We, we talked about all three forms of life are given to us by God. All three forms of death are caused by sin. We're told that repeatedly through there through the Bible. In fact, Romans, I believe it's six and twenty-three, it says, uh, "The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life." James one and sixteen, I believe it says, "And sin, when sin, when it has accomplished everything, when it's finished, when it's finished, it's death." Sin is is intent. Its purpose is to create death in some form or fashion, physical death, or spiritual death, or eternal death. But for God interfering in that process and giving us forms of life, we would be dead. If it weren't for God and his saving grace on a daily basis, we'd be overwhelmed by Satan and sin. We'd be overwhelmed by that. God gives us saving grace on a daily basis just like he does eternally. But sin, you know, our natural death is always caused by sin. You know, the minute we are, we are born, we start dying immediately. That's, you know, what we, get, we inherited from Adam, when he sinned in the Garden of Eden, suddenly they lost the ability to eat of the tree of life, <coughs> as distinguished from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had the tree of life they could eat from it, and they had eternal life as long as they were in the Garden of Eden. We don't have that tree. Adam and Eve lost the ability to eat from that tree, and we never got it. And so we're all, the minute we're born, we're going to die. And that's the sin caused by Adam because of sin. You know, in this world then, our natural death is caused so many times by it all the time is caused by the work of man in some form or fashion. 
I may be killing myself by the way I eat, by the way I don't take care of myself, by the way I can take a gun or, a, or some weapon and kill someone else or kill myself. You know, uh, death is always caused by sin in some form or fashion. And our eternal death, if we have eternal death, it's caused by sin because unless God intervenes and saves us, we're all bound for hell. We don't any Nothing we can do that gets us out of that nature of sin, and we're all bound for hell. But God, by his saving grace, this is what we thank him for. Because everything good about life is given to us by God. Everything. We sing that song. He's the fountain of all our, all our blessings. Every one of our blessings and everything we do. But sin, its whole job is to create misery and death in our lives in some form or fashion. Natural death, spiritual death, and eternal death. That's the work of sin. That's the purpose of it. That's why we say, you know, is one of the good thing, and, Christ, and Paul talked about it, the good thing about dying is there's no more sin because it, when sin has accomplished all its work is death. Well, once you have death, then sin can't get to you any longer, and so that's when your, your life actually becomes better. Now, I can't comprehend that. As a natural guy, I can't comprehend how to make that. But Christ will bless us and give us blessings of how we can prolong our natural death. Even though sin's causing it, uh, the Lord gives us in his Ten Commandments, Honor thy mother and father that thy days on the earth may be long, may be lengthened. You know, by doing that and following God's commandments, we can stretch out death better, but he calls the Lord gives us that through his blessings. And I want to look at you now. We have in, in John chapter 3 where there's born again, that's where God probably does the best of laying out to us the comparison between natural and physical. I mean, natural and spiritual. He compares real well the natural and the spiritual life. How you are born naturally, it's a gift of God. But how you're born naturally, you have no control over. How you're born spiritually, you have no control over. Like he says, marvel not. Don't make a big deal out of this, but understanding. Well, the whole world makes a big deal out of it. You know, if you're not born again... And they start worrying about you, start trying to preach to you, and start figuring out something way to save you. You don't have any control over it. God, that's a gift of His. If you're here this morning and you have the ability to go to church and you have the ability to come and hear the gospel preached, Brother Kenny and all the other preachers that come up here, then that's a gift of God, and you have that spiritual life that He's given to you. I want to go through now with that kind of a foundation and talk to you. We have three examples in the New Testament where Christ gave people back their natural life. He, he, people that had died, he restored their life. I want to go back and look at those three examples and see that we have three examples in the, in the New Testament. There's a few back in the Old Testament, but Jesus is one that's our Savior, and I want to show and point out, because if we look at these closely, we'll see how he treated, by looking at the natural death and how he restores that natural death, that's how he restores us spiritually. Good comparison. First one's going to be in chapter Luke, in the in, in, uh, book of Luke, chapter 7. This is where Jesus uh, goes to a city called Nain and raises the widow, a widow's son. It's in Luke chapter 7, begins at verse 11. It's interrupted here by, I'm sorry, this is the wrong one, but I mean, it's the next one I'm thinking, but it's not interrupted here. What we have in, in Luke chapter 7, just after he finishes the Sermon on the Mount. He started beginning his ministry. This is one of the first ones in his ministry where he raised someone from the dead. He raised, a widow, raised up a widow's son. Chapter 7, verse 11, uh, as he's traveling through, it says, and this was a, a day or two right after he finished the Sermon on the Mount, and it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, N-A-I-N, Nain. That city's still there today, but it's called N-E-I-N, Nain, I guess, how you pronounce that, but it's a few miles below uh, Nazareth. <coughs> it's up in the area of the Sea of Galilee, up in kind of northeastern uh, Judea. And it's a city up there, and it says, And he went to the city of Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Most of his apostles are traveling with him, and apparently a pretty large crowd. A crowd that's followed him from after his Sermon on the Mount, they all still starting to follow him very much. So he has a big crowd. He's coming into this city, and he's got a big crowd following him. Verse 12, now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. You got these two crowds, one going into the city and one coming out of the city, and Jesus meets them right there at the gate. 
And what we have here is a dead man's being carried out, and we'll see in a minute. He's being carried out, kind of the old days. They didn't have caskets in. They had what they called beers. It was a, if you've ever seen the movies, you know, the, where, they, where they have people dead, and they put them up on a kind of a little, uh, I can't, a pallet of some kind, a long pallet, put flowers around them and decorate them and all that kind of stuff, and they carry them out over their head and carry them out of the city. Back in that day, the Jewish people believed you had to bury people the same day. They didn't have embalming. So they, they, you have to bury them the same day they died. There's a number of examples of that in the Bible of where you buried them the same day that they passed away. And so you have these people leading a, a, a funeral procession coming out of the city with a crowd, and Jesus going into the city with a crowd. So just want you to get a, a vision picture there, and it was witnessed by a lot of people what's taking place. There was a dead man, I'm still in verse 12, a dead man carried out the only son of his mother. Now think about this. This is a mother. She has one son, and he's died. Now I suspect he's a young adult or something now, but this is the mother's only son, and she's a widow, so she's left alone. Her son has died now, and, and you got a son, you know, especially when you have a, a widow and the only son. Son is, She's intended for this son to help her out and take care of her, perhaps help make a living, help her go through life, and she's lost her only son. She's a widow, and she's alone. she is really alone now. Of course, and all the crowd recognized this. Verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. I tell you, that's a good thing already when the Lord, we all want the Lord to have compassion on us. He had compassion for this widow who had lost her only son. Now keep in mind, Jesus was God's only son. So, you know, he, he knew, and he had a different purpose altogether, but we have two only sons here coming forth here, meeting and uh, one of them's dead, and of course Jesus is alive. But when he, the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. Well, you know she's depressed and she's grieving and she's hurting because she's lost her only son. But Jesus tells her, he has compassion on her and says, you know, don't Weep not, don't worry. And he came and he touched the beer, touched the, the casket, the pallet there that the young man was laying on. And they that bare him stood still. They all knew something was up. They were carrying him out, but they stopped dead in their tracks, holding him up, and Jesus came up and just touched, I, I, I'll call it the casket. It wasn't a closed, enclosed deal. It was an open uh, beer. Uh, and they that bear him stood still, and he says, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. Jesus, all he had to do was speak. He just walked up, didn't even touch the body. He touched the, cast, the beer that was being carried on and says, Young man, Arise, the voice of God brought life back to this young man. Just the simple, his simple voice. Nobody else has ever been able to bring back any of the dead. God's the one that brings back the dead. And he that was dead set up and began to speak. And he, in this case, is Jesus. And he delivered him to his mother. What a gift it was to the mother. Think about this widow mother and her only son is dead. And Jesus restored life to him by simply his voice, by the voice of God, he restored life to this dead. Again, this man had died, and I'll tell you, I don't know what it was, but it was some sin. Either he had died of, uh, because of his own doing, he'd gotten himself involved in an accident, been negligent, been careless, he'd gotten himself in trouble and hurt or whatever, got himself diseased. Whatever sin caused his death, Christ restored his life. And that's true of everything. Sin causes death. Christ brings back life. In this case, he brought natural life, but the comparison with spiritual life here is the same. All Christ has to do is speak. We'll see that as we go through. All he has to do is speak, and he that was dead set up and began to speak. Did he speak before Christ spoke? Did his action uh, come first? No, Christ's action came first. Same way it is with us when we we're born again, when we we're regenerated. You can't speak spiritually until you've been born spiritually, until you've been made alive, and that's what Christ did here. He, the young man, after Jesus brought him back to life, then he was able to do physical things, after he restored his physical life. Same way it is spiritually. You can't exercise spiritual life. I can't accept Christ. I can't come to church and get anything out of it. I, can't, I can understand the preaching, but it doesn't resonate in my heart until you've been born again. You can't do physical things until you've been brought to life. 
either born or in this case brought back to life and you can't do spiritual things until then this is intended to show us the comparison something we understand we understand boy you bring somebody back to life and a young a, a woman gets her only son brought back to life that's understandable to us and i want you to look at the what i call the procedure of how he's going about it christ has to speak first then the young man comes back to life same way it was when he was born we just don't see it like we do in this case here. The dead sat and up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there became a fear on all, and they all glorified God. Fear means respect. It means they understand and fear. And that was one of the miracles he performed there uh, that they saw. Uh, this story is told only in Luke. I want you to go now with me back to the book of Mark. Let's look at the second one. The second death that... Jesus restored a person from back from the dead is in the book of Mark. It's in Mark chapter um, 5. This is the one that I said it's interrupted here. It's, it's split up a little bit, and you'll, you'll recall this when we talk about it. Mark chapter 5. Now, this is told also in, in uh, Matthew chapter 9 and Luke chapter 8. But, uh, and I'll bring a, a couple of pieces from those versions in a minute, so you don't need to go there. Mark, I think, has the, the most complete story of this. But there are a couple of important pieces in Matthew and Mark that I'll talk about here in a moment. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. And, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, he rode across the Galilee Sea. Much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, the highest Jewish leaders. He's one of the, one of the members of the Sanhedrin, as they called it then, the Jewish council. It was the ruling council of the synagogue. His name was Jairus. Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. He knew who he was, this Jewish ruler, and he fell down and worshipped Christ. He knew he worshipped him like, a, like the, the God he was, Jairus. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. She's dying. And he knew that Jesus, if you get him, he could come over and heal her. He was, he was wanting her to, him to heal her. Heal her now. She's just she's sick, and she needs healed. We knew, he knew he'd he healed a lot of leprosy and healed people that were blind. He, we saw a lot of the deeds. So in this case, she's sick, and he wants to heal her. He said, I pray, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed so that she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Much people followed him and gathered him around him. Now, but from, from verse 25 to verse 35, this story is interrupted, and you all know this, what it is. I'll just summarize it real quickly because I'll let Brother Kenny preach on this sometime. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years, and as they were all around him, and she had been treated by lots of doctors, they couldn't fix her problem. Uh, she'd been diseased this way for many, many years. She got in behind Christ, and she thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, then I'd be healed. And she does that. And it says, uh, uh, verse 29, and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she had been healed of that plague. Verse 29, she just touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed immediately. She just had a disease. She wasn't dead and was healed. And Jesus immediately knew somebody had touched him and that virtue had flown out of him. And he said, who touched my garments? And the disciples were shocked. Verse 31, how can you know who touched you in a crowd like this? Everybody's pushed up around you. And Christ knew it. He looked around, saw the woman, what had happened. And she got afraid when she saw him turn around like that and knew that she was caught. Uh, but she had believed in him or she wouldn't have done this. And fearing and trembling, knowing that what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. He blessed her with that. But she went to him to get her health restored. Then in verse 35, we go back to the story about Jairus. As he continued on, while he spake, there came a ruler of the synagogue's house. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue, said, come and heal my daughter. While they're walking, heading to Jairus' house, another man came from Jairus' house and said, your daughter just died. She's dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? You leave Jesus alone. Your daughter has died. You might as well leave him alone and go back home. You can see probably see his face drop you know he became depressed as he dropped out as soon as jesus heard the word that was spoken he said unto the ruler of the synagogue jarius about your daughter be not afraid only believe 
That's good advice for us every day. How many times do we get afraid of things? We get afraid of death. We get afraid of illnesses. We get afraid of sickness all the time. Don't be afraid. Believe. You know, that's, that's one of those things that's easy to say, but it's hard to do. You know, when I, I know when I had to go in for my heart surgery a dozen or so years ago, I was scared. You know, I knew that. You know, I knew it, but I, I, I tried to pray. I, I said, I've said many times, one of my examples is, it's amazing how the length of our prayer is directly disproportionate with our need. You know, when I'm doing well, I'm going to ask the Lord, Lord, can you get me a new truck this year? Can you help me get a new truck? Can you help me get a, my interest on my savings account? Can you get a, that bump that interest up a little bit? I've got all these wish lists of things that I want and I need. But when I went in for heart surgery and they rolled me back there away from my family and left me laying on a gurney naked with just that little cloth over you shivering to death in the hallway for an hour before they even took me in, I was by myself. And my prayer was, Lord, help me. My greatest need at that time in my life I had the shortest prayer. Lord, help me. I need help. It's amazing how our prayers become sincere and short when we really stand in need of Him. You don't have to say everything and pray. All you got to do is ask the Lord to help you. He already knows what you need before you ask. And He can give you, He, he will save you many ways. I, you know, I've said this before you've got cancer, He can clearly save you by getting rid of the cancer. But he can save you by the cancer. He can use that cancer to save you in many other ways. Or he can save you through the cancer, through the healing process you go of something like that. And that's true with anything you might have, whether it's a physical ailment or handicap or whatever, or an illness. The Lord can save you through that process. Sometimes he has to get our attention. And when he gets our attention that way, then that's when he's healing us through. It's like Paul's thorn in the side. He had to keep living with that thorn in the side. But he learned a lot of humility as a result of it. He tells us, be not afraid, only believe. When we get in times of trouble and we're worried, we're worried about because we've had a death in the family or a sickness or a car wreck or whatever the problems you may have, financial, anything like that, don't be afraid. Believe. Believe that Christ can fix this and believe that Christ is going to use this for a purpose. And believe. We see the people that believed got their prayers answered in some way, form, or fashion. Not only that, but you get a great relief on your heart. It heals your heart tremendously and gives you a peace that you can't get anywhere else. He said, don't be afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Jesus said, now, all the crowd that's following me, y'all stay here. I'm going on with Jairus. I'm going inside the house with Jairus. I'm taking three apostles. His, his main three, uh, Peter, James, and John, with me. Just so, just to be the three apostles, Jesus, and then the father, uh, Jairus. And he cometh into the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he seeth the tumult, and them that we, uh, that wept and wailed greatly. It's a good example here too. Now you go over to Matthew, and it'll tell you that when Jesus walked in the room, they had all these people, musicians, there playing, mostly flutes playing and they were playing and a lot of noise going along and people were crying out loud you know i hadn't seen so much of this lately but i've been places in the past with my dad where you go to funeral and you got all these mourners i always think of job's friends you know they're all mourning and they're all crying and they're wailing and there's some people that are what i call professional criers you know that they go to these funerals and they, they show up at a lot of funerals and they mourn and they cry and they're the Family mourners, you know, that they go to every funeral and they go sit in the house all day long and they mourn with you. And what Jesus and here Jesus says that's just a tumult and there's no sense in, in mourning like that, no sense in crying like that. And he makes it makes it clear them that wept and wailed greatly. You know, families usually mourn silently and they cry and they they weep and they cry, but you don't have a lot of the the, the great show that's put on. And you know, and that's what he's indicating here. There's a lot of times. There's just a big show that goes on when someone dies. People go to be at funerals and, and create a lot of uh, problems. But it's, it's what we used to call death watches, death watches and then mourners in the house. And that's what he's telling us going on. So if you see that, it started back in this day of Jesus' time. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. 
This is another uh, term that is used from time to time, sleeping. When you died, Jesus refers to it here in, in our third one in a minute, as sleeping. They're not dead, he's just sleeping. And sleeping is referred to a lot of times as death. Keep in mind now, you know, that there's good in that. There's good in the, when you die that you're just sleeping. That means you're going to wake up. And you're going to wake up and you're going to wake up better off than when you went to sleep. What happens to us, the example in that is when we sleep, that we will come back to life. Uh, it's one of Brother Kenny's favorite quotes, if a man dies, shall he live again? That's when you wake up out of death, sleep of death. <coughs> he says, why are you making all this as you can do and weep? Dampler's not dead, but sleeping. He's trying to give them, you know, some hope and, and, uh, and not be so languished over all this. And they laughed him to scorn. The people that were there in the house laughed at him. She's, she's dead, not sleeping. But when he had put them all out, he said, all the rest of you now, get out then. You're not believing. Get out. You're more trouble than you're worth. He told them to get out. And he put them all out. He took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, the three apostles. And he entered into there where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by her hand and said unto her again, Christ's about to speak again. Uh, Talitha, I believe it's Talitha Kumi, which is being interpreted means, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. He said, little girl, wake up, stand up. That's all he had to do was speak. Death was caused by her by some reason because of some disease she had. All it does, what it took was the word of God to bring her alive. <coughs> Again, Christ God brings life. You go over and read this one in the, in the uh, book of Luke, chapter 8, I believe, of Luke. It says, when the minute he spoke, it said, the spirit returns to her. Another reason we have that, you know, when you're born, God comes down and puts a spirit in you. When he gives you the breath of life, puts a spirit in you, your soul. And when you die, the first thing he does is take it away. Her spirit had left her. Jesus spoke. The spirit came back, brought it back, and put it back in the body. That's added to us in Luke. He says, And I said unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of age of twelve years, and there was great astonishment. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given to her to eat. <coughs> Again, this is a physical death and a physical awakening. But the comparison is here is intended for us to see and understand spiritual life, a spiritual awakening. <clears throat> when he's, she was dead, and the first thing he did after he brought her life, he says, somebody get her something to eat. When we take a, one of God's elect that are dead, you're dead in trespasses and sin until he makes you born again and gives you life. The first thing he wants you to do, go get some spiritual food to eat. He wants you to come to church. He wants you to be preached to. He wants you to understand what's just happened to you. He wants you to see what the Lord has already done for you. He wants you to have that good spiritual food. He wants you to be, some people to pray for you. It's like when you go over in the book of Acts and you see those examples of the uh, eunuch and, and the, uh, i trying to think, the one that Philip saved, the one that Apostle Paul was saved, and then Cornelius. All three of those, when they were figured out that they were born again, they'd been born again by God, they wanted knowledge. They wanted somebody to preach to them. They wanted to be baptized. That's being fed. That's getting spiritual food. The comparison here between natural death and spiritual death is likened a whole lot. The last one, the third one we go to is over in the book of John, chapter 11. This is one all of you are probably most familiar with. It's three, only three times in the New Testament. Uh, the one that we just finished with, Jairus, it's mentioned in three of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, the, other, the first one was mentioned only in Luke about the, the young widow's daughter, son. And then in John chapter 11 is the story of Lazarus. It's on, and it's only covered in chapter 11 of John, not in any other chapter. You know that uh, there was a certain man that was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, town of Mary and her sister Martha. Now Jesus was friends with these people. He was friends. He loved them. He spent the night in their home. There's, Martha and Mary are mentioned in several places through there. And Jesus had eaten supper after this, after 
this incident, he actually comes back and eats with them again. It was Mary which had anointed the Lord with almond, wiped his feet, uh, and whose, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto Jesus, saying, Lord, be, behold, him who thou lovest is sick. He loved the whole family and loved Lazarus. When Jesus heard that, this sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. He's sick. He's sick so that we can show the glory of God. They didn't understand this. And that the Son of God might be glorified. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard, and he heard she was, that he was sick and about to die, he then abode two days in the same place where he was. <coughs> Is Jesus worried about him dying? No. Jesus has the ability to restore life. He waited two more days right there at the same place. We're going to find out before he gets there. Lazarus is going to be dead four days by the time he gets there. He waits two days right there, and then he has to travel another day to get there. He said, let's go to Judea. His disciples try to talk him out of it because they're afraid he'll be killed by the Jewish leadership there. Uh, <coughs> and he discusses that. He said, but uh, uh, these, things, uh, these things said he, and after he said it to them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Again, all three of our deaths were sleeping when we were dead. If Jesus is involved, the Lord's going to come and wake you out of your sleep. He's going to wake you out of your sleep uh, naturally. He'll wake you out of your sleep spiritually. And he's going to wake you out of your sleep when you die a final time in death when you go to heaven. The reason when we die, we don't die. We go to sleep. You close your eyes in death and you open them in the presence of your Lord and Savior. That's why Paul tells us, live as Christ, but to die is gain. It's the reason old Baptists who understand this doctrine are not afraid of death. Because they know that the minute they die, it gets better. Now, I don't understand how that works, but I believe it. And I'm comfortable. I used to be afraid of death. I used to go and think about, you know, I've mentioned this before at funerals about you know, they're going to lock me inside that casket and I can't see and I can't get out and I'm, nobody's going to hear me because I can't talk and they're going to drop me down in this six-foot hole. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, my dad perceived that, uh, that weakness on my part and explained it to me about that. He, he, he's already gone. That's just a body. The person that's lying in that casket is gone. The minute you die, the Lord comes and gets your soul, your spirit, as we talked about, and it's gone immediately. The minute you close your eyes in death, your spirit goes to the Lord. It's nothing but a body there. We think of the body as being the person. No, it's not. The body, the person is the soul. That's why we all have different personalities. That's why we're all, we're all have uh, different human traits is our soul that's in us. That's why we think differently. It's why we look differently. We all have our different inside. That's the soul that the Lord gives us. But he tells them, he said, and you can see that even his apostles don't understand why we think it's difficult and there's confusion. His apostles don't understand what's going on here. These things he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but he, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll do well. Howbeit, Lord spake of his death, but they thought that he was had spoken of taking a rest in sleep. They thought, Oh, you're saying he's just asleep? And, and Jesus finally clears it up. He gets blunt, as I, I, people have to do to me sometimes. And then Jesus said unto them, Lazarus is dead. When I talk about sleeping, it means I have the ability to wake him up. When he dies, when, however you, you, whatever death comes about you, you're sleeping if you're a child of God, because he will come and wake you back up. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. He said, I, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can fully understand how this works and the power of God. And he goes, and I'll skip a little bit here, but verse 17, when Jesus got there, he found that he had been had lain in the grave four days already. This guy's been dead, and they've already put him in the grave. Uh, Bethany was real close to Jerusalem, and it talks about uh, Martha and Mary. Uh, I'll skip some of that. Uh, he, it's, it's good stuff, but in the interest of time, I'll skip part of that and just go down to verse 31. The Jews, which were there, they all gathered in her house. Again, we got a big mourning party there with Martha and Mary. Uh, Martha goes out to greet Jesus, and then Mary, when she finds out he's here, she rises up hastily in verse 31 and went out, and they all followed her, thinking she's going to the grave. And Mary, when she was come to Jesus, she saw him and sat down at his feet and said, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. If you'd only you'd have been here earlier, he wouldn't have died. 
They keep thinking he all he can do is heal from the sick. They don't realize his real power is raising people from the dead. What we think of as dead. We don't die. His children, the people he loves, don't die. You go to sleep. When you die physically, your body dies physically, you don't die. You're asleep as far as Jesus is concerned. He's going to wake you up. He's going to call you. and wake you. The minute you die, he calls you immediately, your spirit, and you go to heaven. We'll find out he does that also with the body in the grave here in a minute. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came into her, he groaned in the spirit. He heard inside. Wow, these people are all mourning. They don't understand, and, and, and I mourn for them. These are all my friends, and I'm troubled. You know, you're, you're troubled when you see your friends hurting. I want to help you. I want to do something for him. He's the same way. I want you to understand, if you'll hang on, you know, you, what I want to say for him, if you'll hang on, you'll see. It's going to get better in a minute. But he mourns for them, and it said, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And said, Jesus wept. It's his friend that had died physically, and all his all his friends' friends are there. They're mourning. That bothers him, and he's weeping over because the people he loves are hurting also. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him! And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have have caused that even this man should not have died? Most people think Jesus could only heal sickness. He can raise them from the dead. Jesus, therefore, again groaning inside himself. People don't understand. He was hurting because people didn't understand yet who he was. And he went to him. It was a cave and a stone lay in front of it. And Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha, the sister of him that was dead. Uh, excuse me, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. Now, this is a beautiful example of how Christ finds us. You know, we're all sinners. We don't like to preach, you know, us ministers get together every now and we don't like to preach about depravity, about how depraved we are and what sinners we are. We talk about it and blow it off. We don't really think about how sinners we are, especially as compared to Christ and the life he gave to us. But we're all sinners. When Christ finds us, we're dead and we're stinking, we're rotten to the core when he finds us. That's the way he found Lazarus. Again, this is an example for us to understand how he finds us and how he changes us spiritually. It's physically so that we can understand it. We understand this guy's dead and he's been there four days. Sure, he's stinking, he's rotting. We know it doesn't take long for the body to start decaying, and that's what he's telling us. But then look what Christ said. He said, take away the stone. They said, Lord, he's been dead four days. He stinks. And I'm sure when they roll back the stone, I can imagine the smell that they have. And Jesus said unto her, said I not unto thee, didn't you hear me before, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Don't fear, believe. Fear not, but believe, and you'll see the glory of God. Then they took the stone away from the place where it was, the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they might believe that thou hast sent me. He said, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to say it out loud. He didn't need to say it out loud. All he had to do was think it to talk to his Father in heaven. That's all you have to do, talk to your Father in heaven. Sometimes it's good to pray out loud for other people to hear you. That's what Jesus said. I'm praying this so everybody else hears me and understands what's going on. It's good for us to pray sometime for people to see that so we can testify in that way how people hearing this pray. I'm always impressed when I look over at a restaurant and I see a couple at the next table praying. That's impressive. It's, it, 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 it encourages me and gives me strength to see that. And that's what he's doing here to all of them. And then, verse 43, And then when he had thus spoken, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Did Lazarus have any choice? Did Lazarus say, let me think about it, Lord? Did Lazarus come to him first and said, Lord, I want you to bring me to life, give me life? No. Jesus spoke. God spoke first and said, Lazarus, come forth. And it says, Lazarus came off that table where he was laying, and that stone table in there. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. He was bound. He was mummy. Like you think of like a mummy. I don't know how they did exactly, but think like a mummy. He was bound hand and foot, and he had face. He couldn't see what he was doing, and yet he came off of that table and came forth. 
when Jesus calls, you will come. That's what we call irresistible grace, and that's what he exhibited here again. This is intended for us to see spiritually how this whole thing works, how Christ gives us life, how he gives us natural life, how he gives us spiritual life, and how he gives us eternal life. He does it all. We don't do anything. In fact, you know, we probably don't want to go if we're asked. Lazarus wasn't asked. You're not asked. When the Lord comes to you, he says, come here, come to me, and you come. <clears throat> not that, you, you know, I certainly, I don't have any choice. If I had a choice, I'd probably say, I'm not sure I want to do that. Let me, let me think about that. I need to study the pros and cons of that. No, that's God's irresistible grace. He said, Lazarus came forth, and Lazarus came off that table. Again, this is a great picture for us of how it works spiritually. <clears throat> he bandaged with, he was bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was covered with a napkin. And Jesus then said to the people, Jesus talking to the people. Now, this is finally, people hadn't done a thing. They thought he was dead and they'd given up. Jesus, and this is the way we all are. Sometimes we can give up. So I guess my son, my mother, my parent, my brother is never going to join the church. They're never going to be baptized. They're never going to come to Christ. They're never going to go to church. I give up on a lot of people. We don't give up on a crowd of people until... Christ decides. Sometimes he does it when we're young and still in the mother's womb as he did John the Baptist. So many times he does it when we're acting in the face of, of all righteousness as he did the Apostle Paul. And sometimes he does it when we're very, very old before we die. We don't make that judgment. We should assume that that's Christ. We should know that that's Christ's work and he'll take care of it. We should pray and we should have keep the faith. And, it says, and then he said, but now... Now, here's the work for us. Here's the work for the people, he tells us. Loose him and let him go. As I'd say, he needs to go hear some now. Send him to Brother Kenny and let him preach to him. Now, take the bandage off and let him see. Once you, the Lord has made you born again and quickened you, regenerated you, suddenly the bandage has gone off your face, your eyes, and you can see. You can see what the Lord has done. I may not understand it all, but I see the world a lot differently. You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't have some inkling to know what the Lord has done for you. You know, you don't, you don't accept him so that you don't see You get it first and accept him then. You accept him because you've already got eternal life, because he's already put it inside you. He's letting you see. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen these things which Jesus did believed on him. Let me go now. I want to close with this. These are three examples of him giving natural life back. But they are all, each one of them, examples of how God saves us spiritually and eternally. We don't have any choice. We're dead. We're dead. And he comes to us and gives us life. We don't do a thing. He does it all. I want to take you. I'll close with this. John chapter 5. I'm going to start with verse 25, 24. Let me point out the differences here. Apostle John is talking, I mean, Jesus is talking to us here about the different ways, what, what states were found in. Verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. That means you're alive. Right now. This is talking about you right now. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. You already have it. You have he that believeth on him, if it's believeth, that means you've already got it. That's perfect tense. It means it's inside you. You didn't try to believe on him. You didn't start to believe on him. You believe, already believe it's inside you, part of your DNA. And believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He's given us the big picture here. If you come to church, if you believe in this book, if you believe in God, then you have eternal life. You already have it. And you believe it, it's inside you. I may not understand every, you know, uh, dot and cross, you know, cross T and I of the gospel, but I believe it and I understand it. That means you have eternal life. So that part's taken care of. That's the eternal part taken care of. Then he goes on and says, says this, verse 25, next verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of God, of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. I believe he's talking about when he when when you're born again. I'm dead in trespasses and in sins. I hear the voice of God, and 
I, and they shall live. They hear me, and suddenly I change, and I become alive spiritually. Let's keep going now. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Now, verse 28. Marvel not at this. You know, again, understand it. But just know, understand this is God's doing. I can marvel at God, but don't marvel at any of our acts. Marvel not at this. The hour is coming in which all, and I believe all means all, all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Everyone that's in the grave. This is when you're in the grave and buried and you're sleeping in the grave. It says all will hear his voice at the end of time. Now, <clears throat> your soul is already with him. If you're a child of God, you're already with him. But we've got like, everybody that's in the ground right now. It's dead, and if I assume at some point in time when I die, when I'm in the ground, everybody, all which are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good unto resurrection of life. You've done good because Christ put it in you to do good. He, by his grace, has made you righteous. That's who he's talking about. And they shall come forth. They that have done good unto resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There's going to be a time when... Lord's going to come back and he's going to issue his call. The trump of God on the end, last day. He's going to issue his call. And all the graves are going to be open and everybody's going to come out. Now, you know, you worry about what are those people that are damnation. God's made that determination before the foundation of the world. He knows it better than us. He's the God. And he's made that choice. <clears throat> and they're allowed to be on their own. Without the, on their own, then they're sinners. If they could be righteous, they could be righteous and perhaps gain their way to heaven. But we're told there's no, there's not one, not a single one that's righteous. We're all sinners. But those that hear it will be resurrected into the resurrection. We'll be joined together with our souls in the, in the sky and taken into heaven. He's given us a good plan and he's given us a description of how it works. It's a beautiful plan. It's not a good plan. It's a perfect plan of how it works. He is in charge of giving us life in all forms. All death we have, all the problems we have are due directly to sin. Through Satan originally, through the sin of Adam that we inherited, and through our own natural lust of our bodies. We're all sinners. But for the grace of God, we'd all be going to hell, but he gives us eternal life. You need to understand that our time here on earth is short. Very short. When we die then, we get better off. And we get to go to heaven for not, not 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. But as the song says, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've just begun. I appreciate your kind attention. My prayer is the Lord would bless each of you.